0: I'm Damian Bulwa. Today on Fifth and Mission, San Francisco's power play. Two years of deadly wildfires have sent PG&E into bankruptcy, and that has intensified a long-running debate in San Francisco. Should the city dive fully into the power business and buy up all of PG&E's electrical lines? Energy reporter J.D. Morris and City Hall reporter Dominic Fercasa are here, and they'll talk about the latest in the city's effort to make the deal how it would work, how much it would cost, think billions of dollars, and how it might affect customers, not only in San Francisco, but all around Northern California. J.D. Morris and Dominic Fricasa, right after this. All right, we're joined by uh, J.D. Morris, who covers energy and PG&E for us. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. And completing the team, Dominic Fricasa, who covers City Hall. Thanks for having me here. So you guys are here, a perfect tandem to talk about a big issue that's come out of the wildfire crisis in California, big issue in San Francisco, which is whether the city should go ahead and purchase all of PG&E's power lines and completely convert to providing power itself to people. So, J.D., Tell us where we are at. Tell us where the city is at in analyzing whether to do this, in approaching and talking to pg and about whether it's possible
1: and how much it'll cost. So the uh, Board of Supervisors Land Use and Transportation Committee just had a hearing about a study that the city has done on this topic. And everyone, all of the supervisors um, that heard it were pretty, su- very supportive of moving forward. They're continuing to look at it more closely. They hired a a financial advisor, Jeffries, to be – they're an investment bank to advise them on the details of that. And they've said that they're looking at um, some uh, upcoming uh, milestone in PG&E's bankruptcy cases as kind of a a point at which they want to – be prepared to potentially engage with them on the topic. Really, it all comes down to the bankruptcy of PG&E, which was, of course, um, motivated by wildfires that their power lines caused, which in turn prompted San Francisco to start looking very closely at buying the PG&E power lines. And now they're saying that they want to make an attractive offer, potentially, um, as part of the bankruptcy process. So they would buy the power lines, would give arguably PG&E money to help it emerge from bankruptcy. Um, the mayor, London Breed, and city attorney, Dennis Herrera, um, have asked to meet with Governor Gavin Newsom soon to talk about um, talk about the matter. And how much would it cost? What are we talking about here?
2: We don't know much, except that it's going to be in the billions of dollars, billions with a B. Um, So the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission, I think, as JD said, is uh, basically what they've done so far is look into it hard. So they've commissioned a study. They've come out saying, look, we have these various scenarios. We can buy, you know, all of PG&E's assets related to San Francisco, some or none. And we can continue down these various sort of trifold paths. Uh, If we go one of those directions. Right. So that's basically all we know is that they're looking into it and that they continue to look into it at the San Francisco. But everybody
0: at the city level, supervisors, the mayor is really supportive of Is Is there anyone that's that's against it?
2: There is an unprecedented amount of political support for purchasing PG&E assets in San Francisco, the likes of which we've never seen before, as we've reported a couple of times now, I think, since the, over the past hundred years, there have been at least 11 ballot measures in San Francisco to to try to do what we're talking about here, to try to bring some of PG&E's infrastructure into the fold and make it city controlled, as it were. Um, the I think one of the most recent ones happened in 2008. It was Proposition H. And that was even just a. a, a a ballot measure that would have forced the city to study the issue. And voters said, no, we're not going to deal with that. We don't want to pay the money to do it. And that was voted down by like 41% approval on that. So it didn't pass. You know, fast forward 10 years, we've had all of these problems with PG&E. They have very little political cachet. I mean, just in terms of like, they're just an easy political punching bag right now, you know, regardless of their situation in bankruptcy and their wildfire liabilities, it's just easy to pile on PG&E. And that's you know, I think
1: politicians in San Francisco are capitalizing on that. And, of course, since 2008, you had in 2010 the San Bruno pipeline explosion, 2017 the wine country fires, and then, of course, just last year, the campfire, the deadliest and most destructive in state history. So I think all of that has really added up. Sure. And yeah, recall
0: that the in the San Bruno case, PG&E took a lot of flack because they didn't know what they had underground. They, they didn't have it mapped properly. They didn't know the welds and the pipeline ruptures and kills a bunch of people who are at their homes in that neighborhood who didn't even know they had it underground there. Um, and so they've been in trouble ever since.
2: Yep. Yeah, I think there's just a lot of appetite right now for seeing, for looking at different ways of doing business. To separate ourselves as a city from pg and E. I think, strikes people as a very you know, attractive option right now. And, and the political forces in, in SF are certainly behind that. Okay. So I, for people that don't totally understand power in San
0: Francisco and PG&E, as you guys do so well, uh, how does this, how would this work? Um, how does this relate to Clean Power SF, with which obviously a lot of San Francisco consumers are currently paying their power bills to? Um, just
2: give us kind of the basics. Sure. So Clean Power SF is a program that's run by the city and county of San Francisco and the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission specifically. This is basically a buyer's club for energy. It allows the city and and JD will correct me, but a fairly new, you know, a fairly new conception, I think, at least. And it, it hasn't been around that long. It's definitely caught on in recent years. Definitely. Okay. so. It basically allows the city to go and purchase large contracts of, of energy, and, mo- and about 46 percent of which is 100 percent renewable. And it sends that energy to businesses and residences in San Francisco. On PG&E lines. On PG&E infrastructure. And that is really the critical point here. So San Francisco is pretty procuring the power from wind farms and biomass and all of these various, you know, largely renewable sources, and it's sending that electricity through PG&E-owned infrastructure to our homes and businesses. So right now, Clean Power SF supplies a little over 80% of San Francisco's entire electricity demand, again, with energy that it's buying, that, you know, we as ratepayers are paying for. And then it's paying, and we are also paying PG&E as part of our bills to send that power, you know, directly to our home for that last mile service, as it were. So the rise of Clean Power SF has kind of coincided with, you know, with PG&E's turmoil in this way. And that is really a big part of why the city is so apt and so sort of um, hot to trot on purchasing PG&E assets. If we can buy that last mile infrastructure, the transmission, you know, equipment below the streets, certainly the power lines that we've been talking about. Yeah. Distribution line. Exactly. Distribution network. We can finally have a fully or almost entirely fully municipally owned power system. So I think it's I think one of the big reasons why the city again is is so apt on this idea is that we've that w- what they're saying is we already are supplying all of this electricity. Just give us the chance to buy this infrastructure from PG&E, and we can do a hell of a lot better job than the utility company has done, at least in the past. Yeah, we, 10 and years. we can
0: have more control over the the sources. Uh, we can make it a not for profit when we know that PG&E has uh, fairly large profit margins that they carve into their deal.
1: Exactly right. And it's important to note that the city already powers municipal buildings, Muni, Treasure Island, and Hunter's Point through power generated at Hetch Hetchy Reservoir. So they're also, um, they also have a hand in power generation. But of course, owning power line actual power lines, the lines that distribute energy into homes and businesses, is uh, you know, significant expansion from Um, being the power supplier and just buying power on behalf of your residents. What San Francisco would be looking to become would be more like um, uh, the Sacramento Municipal Utility District and the Los Angeles Department of Water and Power, which are two um, different but large examples of um, act, you know, full-fledged municipal public power agency, and that's what San Francisco is looking at becoming.
0: Okay, JD, uh, before we go further, we haven't talked about how PG&E feels about this. Uh, historically and today, um, in your articles, a lot of times uh, we see sort of a no comment where PG&E sort of distracts and, and goes to a different question that it answers. How does PG&E feel about this idea, even about the idea of, of what
1: San Francisco has now with Clean Power SF. So they've uh, what I can say definitively is historically PG&E has been very opposed to, I think, really any attempt to chip away at its service territory, going all the way back to when Sacramento's public utility, um, public electric utility was created way back when that was like, you know, in the 1920s and 40s, that thing was held up think they voted on it in uh 1920 something and part in large part because of resistance from PG&E smud the Sacramento Municipal Utility District wasn't actually created until the 40s it didn't actually like start serving power until then so it was like a 20 year delay um and they've resisted at the local level um before currently they've we don't know i mean they've they've really not said much um publicly about but we could speculate which way they're leaning toward. I think, <laughs> yeah, I would I would be surprised if there was not some form of resistance from them. I mean, San Francisco is their hometown. They're headquartered here in all of their statements about this. They have emphasized we've been a part of San Francisco for 100 years, but they say they're open to conversations. So we'll see what you could see. What I think is is pretty likely to happen in something like this is a dispute over the price. So if PG if San Francisco wants to buy PG&E's power lines, they're gonna have to make an offer, and it stands to reason that PG&E might disagree with the offer that uh, San Francisco comes up with. They could want more money. They could say that you know their system is worth a lot more, um, and that's where you could see um, you know some protracted arguments potentially. But
0: and I think one of you guys spoke to the labor union that represents line PG&E workers. Of course, it's a massive workforce in northern California. What does the labor union say about possibly transferring power
1: transferring the workforce I would imagine as
0: well in san francisco
1: so the yeah that's i b e w they represent twelve thousand pg e workers it's about half the workforce um they do not they oppose this because of pension issues they say um so if San Francisco becomes you know, electric municipal utility. There's all these PG&E workers um, that um, would have to become part of the city um, if they wanted to do that. The city said that they would make offers to those people. Um, But the union says that that wouldn't be great um, for their pensions because, you know, you'd break what they'd been working toward and go to something different. I don't know. I've asked them, well, is the city's like actually worse. Um, and they said it's really just about like breaking from what I understand, at least it's it's really about, you know, ending what they have right now, and moving into something different that they don't think is good. Also, a big point for them is transferability. So if you work for PG&E right now um, in the very high cost San Francisco area, you have the benefit of working for this company with more than 20,000 employees from Eureka to Bakersfield. If you get tired of, you know, Bay Area cost of living, you can try to transfer to sure. a much cheaper place and you lose that. Um, if, you know, you're just working for the city of San Francisco.
2: And I think just one other point on on cost, getting back to the equipment for, for a moment And the appraisal of that cost, like you said, JD, I mean, we don't really know exactly what kind of shape a lot of this equipment is in underneath the ground. We can't see it. PG&E has been in charge of upkeep for all of these decades. If San Francisco is going to acquire it, it's going to have to not only, you know, get some kind of appraisal or come to some kind of agreement with PG&E as to how much that's worth, but it's going to be in charge of upkeep, maintenance, fixing that stuff, which can be... I don't know. It can be 100 years old in some instances. Maybe I'm being hyperbolic, but this stuff, we don't know what kind of shape it's in. It's underneath the ground. We can't see it. And San Francisco, as a city, is going to be liable for that if it decides to buy it. So that's one other Yeah, after the San
0: Bruno explosion, I I think PG&E, didn't they open up a warehouse just to make a record center for for where those underground natural gas lines were running? I mean, it's a massive operation, and PG&E has had some difficulty in the past with that record keeping and knowing what it's got. So Dom, I wanted to, to go over to you. If, if I'm a consumer in San Francisco and I'm watching this play out, what, what is top of mind for me in terms of how I'm either going to be benefited
2: or hurt by, uh, by possible big moves in this area? Oh, I think it comes down to, is my bill going to go up? You know, let the city and p g and e sort this out as we've been told this is an enormous, complex undertaking, but I think the average person cares about whether or not they're going to pay more for their utility services and you know we were talking about this you know offline a moment ago, and you know before we know how much this is going to cost the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission before we have these sort of actual offers on the table, as it were, we're not going to know how much you know we're I'll t- I can tell you this: we don't know how much it's going to cost yet, and therefore we don't know how much of that cost is going to be conferred onto public, ut- onto San Francisco ratepayers. What we do know is that the PUC, over and over again, in their rhetoric and in their public statements, is we're going to keep these costs contained. We're not going to buy this just for the sake of buying it, just to jack up everybody's uh, uh, utility bills by twenty dollars a month every month. That's not that's not going to play. They're not going to be able to pull that off. There are you know, the, the rate setting process is a public process. People can have input into that. I don't want to get too much into this rabbit hole, but like one of the reasons why the acquisition of PG&E assets is so uh, um, sort of tactile, tangible right now is because just last year, San Francisco voters passed a resolution or passed, a, I should say, a, a ballot measure saying we're going to allow the PUC to sell bonds, to sell government debt, to pay for electricity infrastructure upgrades and acquisition. This was before PG&E went into bankruptcy or declared bankruptcy, right? So it's sort of like, oh, my goodness, we just passed this. That would allow the PUC to sell bonds, not necessarily conferring that cost onto ratepayers. So we don't know, but I think that's what people care about. And that's what the PUC is going to have to navigate if it's going to get serious about this. Okay, fascinating subject, guys. Let's wrap
0: it up there. J.D. Morris, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Dominic Fercasa, thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks to reporters J.D. Morris and Dominic Fercasa for joining us, to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and thank you for listening.
1: Fifth Emission is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network.
0: If you like this show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts.
1: And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing.
0: You can support 5th and Mission and the newsroom that creates it with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle.
1: There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.